welcome to Top of Mind, the show where we talk to real estate industry insiders and experts about the biggest trends impacting the market today. Enjoy the show. Mike Simonson here. Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast. Thanks for joining us. Top, the Top of Mind podcast is where I talk to the smartest leaders, thinkers, and doers in the real estate industry to provide context and perspectives beyond the market data that we at Altos Research do every week to really get the context and the trends and ideas about the future. Uh, if you're not familiar with Altos, we track every home for sale in the country, all the pricing and supply and demand, all the changes in that data. And we do that analytics and make it available to you before you see it in the traditional channels. People desperately need to know what's going on in the housing market right now, especially as the landscape is changing so rapidly right now. And so if you're needing to know about the data for you, for your local market, visit altosresearch.com. You can book time with the team for free consultation on how you can use market data in your business. But without further ado, I'm thrilled to introduce my guest today, a real leader, thinker, and doer in the real estate industry, Johnny Wolf. Johnny is the CEO and founder of Homeroom, one of the fastest growing investing platforms in the U.S., Homeroom simplifies out-of-state investing and streamlines affordable renting. It's an interesting combination. Uh, the company's marketplace connects rental property investors seeking a turnkey high-yield experience with renters seeking modern yet affordable housing. So this is, we're going to spend some time understanding how we're executing on this it's a cool concept. I'm interested in more depth. So, Johnny, welcome. Hey, Mike. Really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And um you know, big fan of Altos Research. So really cool to be here. Nice. That's great to see you. So let's start with uh, Homeroom. Give, give us the quick overview of, of what you're doing. Yeah. So Homeroom, we help at real estate investors make 50% more rent. And we do that by helping them invest remotely and rent out each room separately. And so, you know, the idea for the company was started when I moved to Austin, Texas to reunite with four of my friends and we could not find a uh, landlord crazy enough to rent out to five roommates in a five bedroom house. So I bought a three bedroom house, added walls and we had a five bedroom house and it was a really cool living experience, shared common areas, and, but I made great returns and I was making way more rent than an investor, someone would make renting the same house to a single family. And I had a few friends who were super excited about it and, so, and wanted me to help them invest how I was doing it. And so that's how Homeroom was born. I love it. It's the the the, the yeah. personal need, right? The yeah. personal need. That's great. Altos was started with the personal need too. The um the so so the concept is you're doing roommates shared space, mm -hmm. and you're using the homeroom platform to bring those roommates together and right. marrying yeah. it to the investor. Yeah. So, you know, we think of our, you know, we're a marketplace, you know, Airbnb type marketplace where, you know, there's homes and instead of short term splitting time up, we actually split up space. So our tenants come in, stay for, you know, 16 months on average. And our platform drives the tenants to that platform. Um, one thing we do different than what Airbnb does is we help investors find and buy these homes and set them up according to our specifications. So that makes it a bit more investor focused. But at the end of the day, your home is operating a lot like an Airbnb 
in the sense that it's on a marketplace. Our platform is driving tenants onto your, into your space and you're making more money than you could in any other way. So, so is it, do you, do you feel like it's more, is it more driven as the, that renter experience or is it more driven as the investor experience? Oh. Marketplaces, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of chicken or egg, right? And the truth is, is that the tenant experience is the foundation for what we're doing, right? And the, the need for affordable housing at its core really is what's driving more and more people to live with roommates. You know, it's been trending upwards over the last four decades from 11% in the 80s to 26% of young adults are living with roommates. And so that's, that's really like, that's how we started the thing is like, how do we serve that group? And, you know, over time we evolved and realized like, Hey, the supply side and the investors are really a massive part of that equation. Good news though, if you can cater to the roommates in the right way, it actually helps the investors too. And now you have a really nice ecosystem for both sides to benefit from. That's fascinating. So it's up as a 26% of young adults live currently with roommates. Yeah, twenty six percent. It's crazy. That's it's crazy. And yeah, so, 20. and so then, so then, as a like, as a person who's looking for roommates, I go to homeroom and I go find a place in Austin to stay. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. If you're looking for roommates, you would jump on the homeroom website. You'd be able to take a three D tour of a property. You could be able to see who the roommates are, and then you'd be able to apply. You know, in fifteen seconds for one of the rooms. Got it. And then, and, and there's a lot of like room sharing and, you know, post Airbnb, a lot of those types of, uh, you know, couch surfing, all of the things sure. that, that people are happy to like have proven to be happy to go try at least. So like that's yeah, like yeah. a lot of momentum. Definitely a lot of momentum in the sharing. I mean, this is just sort of like spillover from the sharing economy, right? It's, it's, it's a sharing economy in space and living like people wanted to make it work. They want to figure out how to make that work. This type of living, I think is the, you know, it's a very nice, you know, you can do it really nice with Airbnb short term, but like the long-term option in the sharing economy, I think was difficult for, for a big market. And I think this, this model is exactly kind of what the market needed there. That's fascinating. So, and then on the investor side, now I'm an investor and do I go to homeroom to find properties? Yeah. So my co-founder, Mike, he was at actually a data scientist from Airbnb. And so he's built an, you know, API connector and calculation tool that will actually find homes on the MLS that match our criteria. And so that that's, we actually highly recommend you come to homeroom to find the property. We do take, if you already have a property, you can put it on our platform, just like Airbnb, but most of our investors are finding the properties through kind of our sourcing algorithm. And yeah. then we have kind of a process where we say, Hey, this is how you buy. We'll set you up with the right vendors to do it. And uh, then you add it to the platform and then we'll drive tenants into your home. Nice. Okay. So that's really cool. Yeah. So you get sort of the advantage or it's like, you know, one of the, one of the fears of investing in rental property in another city are all of the, like, what do I do about the tenants and, you know, all of that remote management stuff. So it sounds like you have, you're tackling some of those fears for investors. Yeah, we, we make it so it's completely turnkey for the investor. The investor doesn't have to do anything. We get that question a lot. I was like, why can't investors just do this themselves? And the answer is they can. But with Homeroom, it's, you know, we, we've done it for a long time. It's easier and we do it better. And so we think 
you'll make even more rent with us, even net of kind of what our take is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I can change the oil in my car too, but I don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, same, same here. That, same and, here. Uh, it's like, uh, and we do that with Altos, with the Altos research data too. You know, it's like, you know, any agent can go get all the data and they could go prepare the visualizations and they could go do the analytics. Like you can do that work yourself, but are you really going right. to, right? And, and isn't it more likely sure. that you don't do that work and then leave the, the opportunity untouched? Yeah, I mean, you can grow all your own food, you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of things, you, there's a lot of things you can do yourself that we pay for right? that's great it's, just, so, it's usually better and yeah how do you so how do you identify like properties that you know like you said 15 percent better returns is that in the is that in the tenant side or is that in the property selection side your your better returns it's a mix of the two the right for the right form factor of a of home is really important right so we're looking for the more bed with more bedrooms you can do better with, with with the kind of a co-living or roommate situation. So if you buy like a three bedroom, two bath that maybe you can't add a bedroom to, your returns aren't gonna be quite as good as that. But with our selection engine, we'll find homes that match that and you'll get, you know, we'll have a lot of examples of homes that rented for 2000 before we bought it or one of our investors bought it. And then it would run for 3000 or 3,500 after it was converted into one of our spaces. So it's really a mixture. You identify the home correctly, and then you have the ability to rapidly get the best price for rooms. So you have to, you have to do both. Right. Yep. And that's kind of a lot of what this marketplace is, is there's like, it's, it's two things at the same time at a really nice, really good level. Nice. Are you, uh, you're geographically focused now. You're doing a handful of markets. Where's, where's your focus? My focus, our focus, we start in Kansas city. That's where, and I was living, I lived in the basement of our first ever property there for three years, kind of fine tuning the product and living really affordably. Cause I was starting a business and didn't have it, you know, and I think you, you know how that goes. It's I not, know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it's not glamorous, you know, you know, you don't get to eat the nicest stuff, you know, um, <laughs> Or live in the nicest places, but it, yeah, you know, and uh, so we've we've we're now in eight metros. We're you know our number two Dallas actually has surpassed Kansas City as our biggest hub of, of our company. We're also in Austin, San Antonio, Indianapolis, Tampa. We have a presence in Pittsburgh, and we're expanding into Phoenix. So we're yeah. pretty rapid expansion, um, you know, and it's exciting to see kind of the different demand for this type of living all over all over the nation yeah so so dallas austin phoenix tampa those are pretty common investor markets but you've also got indy tell me about indy as a site as site selection yeah so you know we one of the things that you know i when i was looking at turnkey investment options for private investors i i kept finding that these investment shops would just keep pitching like the city they were in because it was such a big part of like what they were selling like because they were only in one city so they're just like you know pittsburgh is the greatest market in the world and then they just like back that up which is not very agnostic right it's not or it's not very objective it's very you're very much selling and so one of the things i want to do with homeroom is to spread our offering out and think about cities as a component to the offering to investors and to say like hey it's not necessarily that india is better than tampa although you could uh, you could argue kind of either way but it's just that each one is a different form factor right so one's a tech stock one's like a high dividend kind of like 
blue chip. Like, how are we going to think about these? So Indy's going to yield better than any other market uh, because the rents, the properties haven't appreciated as much. So the rents have kept up a bit better. So if you're looking for yield, Indy's a really nice place. If you're looking for maximum ROI, which is yield and appreciation, then or, or, you know, Dallas, if you look, if you want pure ROI, then Austin's a great option. So we, we're trying to create an opportunity where we can be completely objective with the investor and help them choose versus being like, you should do this. Right. right. Because we think that's just, it, it just disaligns your incentives. Do you, do you take much of an advisor role in that transaction? Like, are they asking you, where do we do it? Or are they pretty much coming in and going like, look, I'm, I'm interested in some of the Midwest towns that haven't yet appreciated. And there are some investors, you know, like Mobile, Alabama, some of those places are starting to get hot because, you know, investors are priced out of Scottsdale, Phoenix, you know, they're like, yeah. they need to go, they need to go to the tertiary markets. Are you advising that yeah. or do they know already? Each, each investor is different. We have investors all over the spectrum from investors who are buying their first investment property and all the way to investors who own dozens. And so, you know, folks that are buying their first, we, we do take a pretty active advisory role. I think that's probably something that we'll do less of as our platform develops and gives more data to the uh, the to the investors. But at the end of the day, they're deploying a hundred thousand dollars, right, or or more. And so, some advisory role I think is is you know needed, and you know we, we're we're happy to provide that. But mostly, we provide the numbers. We do the underwriting so that they can see what the difference is, because we find that like there's a lot of stories around why. You know, the mall is going to go here in Pittsburgh and that's going to change property prices. But the data is just so much more powerful to tell that story in, a, in an objective way. And that's the, what we're trying to provide for our investors so that they're making smart decisions driven by data, not necessarily driven by like hearsay or other other kind of like, uh, you know, story type things. Yeah, I love that. Is there data, like particular measures that you find like particularly useful for investors? They go, well, man, I, I mean, indie, maybe tell me like, what, what should I know? Like yield is interesting, but you know, but, but what other data points might you use to help me understand Indianapolis? So we, you know, we have a very specific lens on it. So we have two sides of how we think about properties. One is we're going to think about property appreciation potential, and that's by itself, the house separately. And so that's going to, that's, that's macro drivers in terms of growth to zip code and, and sub zip code growth as well. We, we get into that data set. In addition to crime, and we look at trends over time and how those things are kind of getting, improving or getting worse, right? And so, and we've also started to incorporate some Snapchat type data where we see younger demographics are migrating to different areas. We find that to be an interesting variable. And so that space, these, that kind of formula is really around how we're driving future appreciation potential for, for a property. Yeah. That's, the, uh, the, keep going. The other side is, oh no, I'll let you, sorry, I'll let you interject there. Well, I was just asking about, I was thinking about the younger demographic, the, the tracking that trend and and is that you said Snapchat like data? Is it like coming from things like like sources like mobile data that where you can correlate with you know with age and then and then migration and and really the interesting question is has there been surprising changes in the last couple of years that you know that you've seen there like in, in our in our wacky new world? Yeah, I mean. 
the truth is, is our data models are relatively new. So we've, you know, in terms, and so one of the things with our Snapchat data is like we have transactional data and not as much historical data that we've linked to. And so we're, we're using that to triangulate future performance versus kind of some of the trends. Our trends on crime and our trends on migration, those are a lot better. Those are a bit, those are a bit more historical. The, the, I think the trends that we found the most surprising is like, or the things we found the most surprising is when we look, when we're forecasting rent by the room pricing is like the variables that don't matter at all to how much your room should rent for. And, and that's the stuff that like kind of blows my mind. You know, it's like, I would expect the amount of migration movement in and out would affect it way more than it does. But what we find is like age matters almost more than anything and income matters more than anything, which is kind of like boring because it's sort of like exactly what everyone already knew. And it's like, damn, we did a lot of data science just to get back to the answer that was sort of just the vanilla ice cream of all answers. Anyway. Yeah, so, but you know, yeah. but but it, like, it's actually good to know that because you, you like, there's always hypotheses that this is gonna tell me something new or, yeah. you know, and so it's like, you know, what we can show is, is that what we need to know is we need to know age and income and and that trend is valuable right and and if if the income is climbing if the age is declining in an area like that those are powerful signals for the future right yeah yeah and, and powerful signals for how much people will pay for a room which is that's the piece we plug that with appreciation and then we we see how much someone can make in their total performance of that property so that's the product that Homer was offering investors. Well, we're going to do that whole underwriting. And the room rent piece is just doesn't exist anywhere, right? It's completely proprietary to us. There's no data model you can buy for room rent pricing. And that's something we're, we're really excited about. That's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. And so then you sign individual leases with ind individual roommates? That, like, yes. Is that, yeah. that's how it goes? It's Yeah, it's a member agreement that's transferable to any room across the portfolio so we have people oh, who move from different cities which is really cool that's cool and then and so then as a renter the one of the benefits for me is that like i'm already i've already gone through my my landlord vetting and i don't have to like get my credit pulled and all that stuff for to get a new landlord and i can move through the portfolio and then i and then i can imagine there's like a there's like the uber rating the you know the driver rates me kind of thing like we know if we're like i could imagine that you would you might want to do that in there yeah we actually we do do a rating as a roommate leaves they get a rating and then the roommate and they rate the roommates so we don't want to do a rating in the house but as you leave a house you get kind of a scoring Got so it. yeah we're definitely doing something very similar to that trying to do it you have to do it just right because like you don't want to miss people that live together which is uh you know can't would be obviously a big problem yeah 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 right and and ratings in general are like it's an it's nuanced right and you know yeah you know he he had one weird habit that i didn't like and you know like that's that you know but maybe that says more about me right <laughs> so so those are tricky, but I love the, I love that concept in that, in that you build a, you know, like a transferable benefit and that, that especially as you move into some bigger, you know, markets and exciting, exciting places to be like, well, I've been in Austin and I want to go to Manhattan and like, you know, like if I can yeah, already, we, you know, be we, we, yeah, you know, we, we're kind of looking at, you know, the there's some of these really, these really cool platforms that you can like live like Zeus, where you could live for, five, if you have 5,000 a month, you know, you could live anywhere because already furnished. 
and it's kind of like this dream way of living if you like to travel if you like to move around yeah. some people prefer not to move ever right but like other people are like i wish i could see the world while living the cool thing about homeroom is our average price point is like 400 450 dollars so you can live kind of like that but you know for one tenth of the price which is pretty awesome and yeah. i you know i've done it myself i've transferred to a few different properties it's it's, it's badass that's great. That's so cool. And it, and that's a real interesting trend. So let's talk about that trend in the future there, which is that, you know, the the sort of nomad, you know, person, you know, the the digital nomad, the work remote person. A couple of questions that, that I'm interested in with all my guests here and a lot of the conversation I'm is, is have you seen new trends, work from home trends or, you know, things like that that have impacted your business or like changes in your day that, or, and then where do you see it going in the future based on, you know, your frame of the world? Like, you know, you're in Austin and, you know, big part in Austin. And, you know, one of the reasons you go to Austin, it's a cool town, but like, there's some really cool employers there, but if I, but it's also expensive. So, you know, if I, if I can live somewhere else and work for my Austin employer. So anyway, tell me about what, where, if you've seen any trends, notable trends uh, that like, as we went to work from home, as we're shifting back into some kind of, you know, go into the office and then where you see the world going in the future. We definitely, you know, for us, we, you know, we have five people in a house. So we saw an interesting COVID work from home trend where, you know, no one was moving at all, right? Everyone was just at home. And so there was definitely a period of time when no one transferred, but everyone was at home. And so it's like pushing the limit of can, how many roommates can comfortably live together? Because part of our model is that, you know, most of them work and so they're not going to be at home. So it doesn't, you know, like it's, it's less strain on the house. So we've, you know, a lot, I would say about 50% of our, our, our folks stayed home and were promote other 50% were going into going into work as well. So that's, you know, it's, we're seeing way more transfers in 2022 than we've ever seen. So I think people are taking advantage of that and that's inner city and within a city and between cities, you know, so we're seeing a lot more, the world's opening up a bit. I think that's kind of in line with how I'm feeling personally. And, but, you know, going forward, I think I see a world in which people feel comfortable living a subset of the population feels comfortable kind of migrating around and living in different areas. You hear these stories of people that have kind of lived. And I think kind of you hit the nail on the head, like working in Austin, working at for an Austin employer, but living in somewhere cheaper is like a great way to save a lot of money really fast. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think we're seeing that I, you know, we're, I was doing, I've done that before I've, and we're seeing more and more migration towards these tier two, tier three cities. And I'm not as privy to like how many of them are holding on to their jobs, to be honest, or if they're getting new jobs, because we don't ask. But you know, my hunch is that a lot of them are are doing something along those lines. Yeah, that's really, that's exciting. You do you have a how about tell me about your company? Are you guys virtual? Or do you have an office? What are you doing? Uh, 100% virtual. And are you spread all over the country or all over the world? Yeah, we're all over the world. We have, you know, half of our half of our companies in the Philippines. So we have ten in the United States, twenty seven in the Philippines, uh, half dozen in uh, Latin America. So yeah, very very global workforce. We have one one straggler in Spain. Yeah, it's been to and our engineering team is in Vietnam. So it's you know, the COVID really opened up how this is done, and it used to be looked at if you do what we're doing, it's like you know, it's the kiss of death. Like you're yeah. not going to make it, but now it's like, 
it's like you're smart so i guess i don't know that's i don't know good. i don't know which one it is but uh, <laughs> it seems like it's working so far yeah good that's that's exciting i'd love to if we have time at the end we could chat about the y combinator experience because i know you're you're just uh, you're in that program now right in this in like or we just did demo day actually three weeks ago amazing yeah that yeah. that sounds yeah. exciting yeah Let's do a couple more things before we dive into, into Y Combinator. The, uh, I'm so, you know, as we look at the, the real estate market, and, and especially in the last decade, we have, we've taken a bunch of homes out of resale and then we've made them investment properties. Um, we have fewer and fewer homes for sale. We have this inventory shortage. We also, we actually have a, a rental shortage right now too. Rents are climbing. Do you have a view of how like the homeroom contributes into the ecosystem of available housing for people and affordability and those, how, how, what's your vision for that? When we think about, you know, the, the real needs of housing for Americans, especially young people who don't yet own homes, what, what's your, what's your view in the next decade or so? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the, you know, I can talk about our contributions and, you know, I, for sure, I do think that this is a big problem and I don't, I'm not sure. And it seems to be getting substantially worse. You know, one of the things that we're seeing, right, when we saw this really nice appreciate, oh, nice depends on who you are, appreciation pop in almost every market in the United States recently. Um, and what that did effectively is it meant that people that lived in houses no longer could afford to rebuy that exact same house. If they sold it today, and they went to go buy it again, they would not qualify, which means that the only thing that an investor can, someone could do is sell and downgrade, which no one's ever, no one wants to do, right? So you're kind of got this issue where why would anyone leave their home to make that upgrade? That's very, you know, that's you, you save up, you get to the next house. It's become very difficult to make an upgrade for, uh, when you sell. So that that's put a lot of inventory in stasis of, of with primary homeowners. And so I, that I, that is only getting worse with the rapid appreciation of properties. I think and you've kind of touched on it, layered in institutional buyers buying homes, creating rental properties, and it makes it worse. So I, this is a problem that I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to this. Um, I think regulation may be something that has to be looked at. I housing stock does not seem to be on the rise at the pace that's needed because builders still have a memory of 2010. And they're just like, or 2007, they're still scared to like overbuild, which is like, guys, it's, it's, it's been a long time now. Let's, let's, let's like kind of let that go. Let's, let's build a little faster. It's kind of like what I keep thinking, but it, you know, doesn't matter. They're a conservative lot. So that, that's a big problem. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. Uh, building more is the clear answer or some sort of regulation. I I, I don't know. Yeah. In terms of homeroom. Yeah. I mean, it, what are your thoughts? I, I'm very interested. This is an interesting massive challenge that I don't, I don't see an, uh, an end in sight today. I don't see well, a clear solution. Well, you know, I love uh, the concept of density as one of the things we can do to improve the inventory challenge, right? If, and, and I'm an investor in micro apartments in Seattle, for example, and, and what that does is it creates, it's actually same, it's same target as you're talking about where it's, where it's, you know, people who, you know, maybe it's five, it's a thousand dollars a month. And normally to get a thousand dollar a month, you know, place in Seattle, I've got to, I have, you know, 
crazy roommates and you know and i've got i have to go deal with all that thing i don't have a i don't have a homeroom to go sort out all my roommate and you know stuff but i so one option is to rent a micro apartment a couple hundred square feet you know with high-end nice nice you know nice amenities a nice building and but i have my little my little unit and it's all mine and so that density does a couple things one is really great return for investors but two it's it's more housing and so I like the idea of density and, and, you know, optimizing investment homes for more people, I think is a, is a positive contribution for that trend for, for a real crisis in the country. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you that. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting for, for housing. You're, you're a, you're a crusader for affordable housing simply by, by virtue of having the density. So like, that's a, that's an appealing process to me. Got it. No, it makes sense. I, you know, in a lot of ways that homeroom is doing something similar to that. And, you know, our rents are 50 per, we don't really, we don't talk about this as much because we're, you know, investor facing in a lot of our comms, but, you know, to rent a room at homeroom is 50% cheaper than renting a, a studio apartment in like the same neighborhood. So, and we're creating, we're taking one unit and making it into five. Right. And, you know, and so there's definitely cities are like their eyebrows go up. They're like, what about zoning laws? Like, well, you know, we could have that conversation, but like every study that's coming into city hall is saying like, no one has, there's not enough affordable places for people to rent. Right. And it's like, uh, how are you, you're, you could solve that in seven years probably, or you could let homeroom come in and solve this for you today. Right. Yeah. And so we, you know, that's, that's, you know, I think that's, you know, that's a lot of what I like with Austin and Picasso is that they're doing something similar in the sense, yes, they are buying housing stock, but they're optimizing its use so that less housing stock needs to be consumed by people that aren't utilizing it in an efficient way. Yeah. And so that in effect, but maybe that house isn't available, but now other homes are right because he's creating, he's being more efficient with the space, with the, the space. I mean, that's exactly what we're doing. Right, we're we're creating really affordable housing. Uh, we really want to create a financial future for people. And so, if you spend three hundred fifty dollars a month on rent instead of eight hundred dollars plus utilities, um, you know, and also we're more flexible. Like it's just a better deal. Yeah, I I, I think this the density thing is that's the number one answer in my mind. Like I don't see one that's better. You know, especially to repurposing space or using space that was you know being left on the sidelines. Yeah. And, and that's the benefit of the sharing economy, right? Is that, is that yeah. those assets were previously unproductive. They're sitting there not being used. And meanwhile, there's a class of people who need to use them and they can't get them. And so like, I think there's a real strong story there. It makes a lot of sense to me. And, and the, you know, the, the flexibility and all the other benefits is like, that's a, that's a bonus, but, but really we, we need some density right now. And a lot of American cities, yeah. especially ones that are fighting affordability challenges like Austin rapidly becoming unaffordable like to everybody except those of us who move out of San Francisco. And, and, you know, and so it's like, it's, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a powerful element that, you know, a community should use. I agree. I think it should be a big part of the mix. I, you know, we actually had the city of Topeka reached out to us recently, which was like a very, it's very cool. And they said, like, can you come here and be part of ours? Like, as we launch our startup ecosystem, I was like, because like, we need more density near these areas. And it's like, yes, that's, this is the kind of outreach that like, we'd love to see. And like, it's like, okay, that city really understands like, 
that there's a solution available and maybe it's not um, glossy as like they'd like it to be, but it's fast and, yeah. it's, and it's elegant, right? And it's elegant and we do it really, really well. People are really, really happy. It's be they're beautiful homes. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's the, it's one of the solutions. That's really terrific. So Topeka reached out to you and said, Hey, we want hip young people in for our startup ecosystem. We need, we need hip young places for them to live. Help us make that happen. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what we're looking at, right? Like that, that's, yeah. you're recognizing yeah. the challenge and it's a, what a, what a great what a great story that is. And, you know, typically we have, there's, there's a lot of, there's a, the NIMBY argument, which, you know, the, you know, the don't put density in my neighborhood, but density is, you know, typically thought of as, as like, you know, concrete, you know, bunkers that, you know, as opposed to like single family homes, it just, you know, happen to have a nice uh, group of people living in them. And, yeah. and so NIMBYism is very strong. I think in all house discussions at, at the anywhere we go indeed anywhere you go you know we've had you know in cities we've had one person that cares and like you know it becomes a city thing that there's a discussion it's just like all right <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah like, and, and there are probably yeah. some cities where it'll be hard for you to to go to like that like that that have real entrenched nimbies and laws and things but but there's a lot of the world play like if topeka cares they're taking action and that's really exciting yeah and we'll go and we'll go there right? and we'll help there you know a lot of the city, folks at city hall have you know 23 year old kids to like maybe still live at home right yeah and so like we're i'm here to help you right we're homeroom is here to help you not have your kid live at home anymore you know one like, of the you, do you want yeah one of the the live at home concepts that that we were discussing recently, I think on the podcast actually was was that you know homes built whatever 70, 80 years ago were significantly smaller. And so you know if you have a family of four and it's a three bedroom house and you know in you come out in the in the late 50s, you're like there's no place to live at home. And now homes are bigger and you've got basements and like, it's like easier to live at home and therefore people do. So, you know, our kids like, you know, why are you living at home longer? Well, there's space in the home for me. And, yeah. and so that shift is also those that stock becomes investable and dividable and, and more debt, create more density for future, you know, investors, but also for the, you know, the, the tenants as the stock yeah. shifts. Yeah. And, and, you know, those basements are competitively priced for that kid <laughs> with their parents. Very, very competitively priced. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly typically, right. Typically free, typically free. Yeah. Yeah. We actually saw during the pandemic, we saw a surge of, it was the most, the highest percentage of 18 to 35 year olds live with their parents since the great depression. And so we've seen actually a lot of kind of like people, it's like flowed in and then they're kind of flowing out into homerooms now, but it's just pretty, it's just kind of a crazy trend and not one that I'm like envious of. I don't have, a, you know, a young adult child, so I don't have to worry about it myself. But yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think the solution for that, so people don't have to go home, like there's not a, a stepping stone there, right? And micro apartments like you're talking about or, or co-living is I think a, a perfect solution. Perfect solution. That's really, that's super exciting. So let's talk a little bit more about the Gen Z. Like, and that's your, is that your target really? Is it Gen Z? Is it late millennials? What, how, how do you think about your, how do you think about your renters? Yeah, I mean, our average age is actually surprisingly high. It's 29. 
Okay. So, yeah. So it's not, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks, you know, it's not a, not, we don't, we actually don't do below 21 years old. So we're not really focused on college age kids pretty much like it'll be your first place out of college or later. And yeah, that works really well for us because people stay a lot longer. They're not in like a phase where they like are Tasmanian devils to the property, which is clearly better for <laughs> if you're an investor. Um, and, but yeah, there's just, it, it's just a stopgap with, with the marriage age going so late, you have basically, you know, the studio apartment was great when like you would get out of college at 22 and then you'd get married at 24 and you spend one year in a studio. That was awesome. You're like freedom by myself. But like when you're lit, but, but now it's 35. And so are, do you want to live in a studio from 22 to 35, like 13 years living alone? There's no time in history where like people alone for 13 years by, you know, by choice, really. Like it's just, humans are meant to be more communal than that typically. Not everyone. There's a lot of people that are like, I'd, lo I'd love to live alone for my whole life. <laughs> but like a majority of people live with other people, roommates, their parents, their the, their family, their girlfriend, their significant others, but not, not alone in the studio. So just an interesting kind of demographic trends and how housing is shifting. Yeah. So 29 is your average renter age. And was that, was that intentional or you just learned that after you started marketing? Not intentional at all. I mean, we've had over a thousand roommates now, so it's really just the data that we have accumulated over time. It used to be a bit younger. It used to be 27, but it's kind of floated up. So yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So the age is increasing and does that vary by market? Do we it's very good market? Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we find that the, you know, if there's a spectrum of San Francisco to Des Moines, I guess, if you call it that, the Des Moines are younger and then the San Francisco's are older substantially. So Austin is our closest proxy to San Francisco. So that's the oldest. And then Indianapolis would probably be our closest to Des Moines and that's the youngest. Right. It's also varies. That's by affordability too. Yeah. Yeah, portability makes a big difference. There's there's a way bigger necessity to do it in the more expensive markets. Like I, when I lived in San Francisco, I was a VP at a bank, and I lived with a roommate. You know, like it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like yeah, you know, because no one wants to spend like three, four, five grand on a you know private studio. So. Yep, uh, I get it. It's a it's a real thing. And like density, San Francisco needs some density, right? Like we need more. San Francisco needs a it needs a lot of density, man. It needs yeah. a lot. Yeah. Awesome. Let's switch in the last few minutes. Let's talk a little bit about the startup process. Sure. You know, tell me about the process of getting the company off the ground. You said it was a, you know, a personal need that you started addressing. Tell me more about your, tell me more about your startup process. Yeah. I mean, you know, I read a hard thing about hard things. Uh, great. Fantastic book. Yeah. And, and decided I'm never going to do a. I was at a startup at the time. I was like, I'm never going to do a startup ever. <laughs> this sounds terrible. But then in 2015, I, when I moved to Austin, I to be kind of like a real estate investor. I was like, you know, living in San Francisco, VP at a bank, but still have roommates. Like, am I ever going to break out of this kind of like lower middle class of the Bay Area without with this kind of career path? And so started to invest heavily in real estate um, and then realized there was a lot of people that needed places to live like this. And that it was a great return for investors. So I kind of was seeing like the need and I was like, okay, this seems like a good idea. And I was like, but I don't want to do a startup. So that those were in conflict. And, you know, 
I think it was when I finished my third property in Austin, I was like, I think, I think this just needs to be done. It's an, it needs to be done. There's, we have, every time I put a property up to rent rooms out, I've got like 50 people trying to get a room in one of my houses, their credits crazy. Like, but no one, you know, like, and so why is anyone doing this? Crazy good. You mean their credit's crazy good? Yeah. 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 The credit's like 810, you know, it's like, but no one, like, these are the best tenants in the world and like, no one's providing them a service. And so I, I thought about it for like four months. The startup I was at was like, kind of like on the outs. And I was like, so I emptied my retirement account, thought Kansas city would be a better place for investors to buy homes. And so I started the company with, with the idea just to purely bootstraps it. Like I was just going to bootstrap it with my retirement account. And I got some advice that said, don't do VC. Cause like, if you go that route, you know, like the risk and rewards go up exponentially, but you know, it's also the pace gets crazy, all this stuff. And so I was committed to do that. So the first two years I bootstraps it in a basement. We had, you know, no employees. I was running it alone. And, but I was learning about the customer and getting a lot of feedback from the tenant side, learning about properties, learning about the investor dynamics. And then I realized like that I'm not solving the need I set out to, to solve without investment dollars. We're just, we're, you kind of, there's sometimes you need some investment to just get over certain humps where if you don't have like a second, third, fourth employee, an engineer, like you're just like kind of boxed in. And so I decided I had a few friends that had asked to invest in the company. They gave me a couple hundred grand and we were off to the races, right? Over the next 18 months, we grew uh, like eight decks. Um, we know we're now, we went from two employees to now we have 53. We got, we just finished our Y Combinator batch. Love the last 12 months grew six X. We're now in, you know, eight metros. I don't know if the way that I did it was the right way, <laughs> you know, to start bootstrapsing it and just pure agony for two years. I learned a lot about the customer. You know, yeah. and it gave me, it gave me a lot of knowledge. Would I do it for two years next time? Probably not. <laughs> but <laughs> you don't have to do it next months. time. Cause you've already, you've already got it under your belt. Yeah. So that's, yeah, a, so that's really terrific. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I think I'm a big fan of that, you know, learning about the customer for me, it was like, I did a hundred sales before I hired a first sales guy. I had done a hundred. But then when he was sitting in the office when we we're interviewing and I get a phone call and I close a customer on the phone while I'm interviewing the sales VP, he goes, well, I can do that. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it was like, that's how you know the customer, right? You do a hundred of those yourself and then you right. get it figured out. That's yeah. really neat. And real quick, tell me about the Y Combinator experience. Yeah, it was, um, it was kind of, it was a dream come true, honestly. Like you hear about Y Combinator, and you're like, and you know that no one gets in, you know, it's kind of like, and, and the, and so we, we, I decided we, we tried to get in a year ago and we didn't get in. And so then we, we basically learned from it and kind of iterated on all these different pieces and we got in early, which means we were like kind of at the, the front that really liked us. Uh, the first piece is you kind of go in, you talk to Cybel and like the gang and they like grill the heck out of you for eight minutes. And uh, if you show any weakness, you're done essentially. So you've got to be, you got to know your stuff. You got to prep a little bit, but in general, it's phenomenal. You know, the, it's, the pace is really fast. They push you on product knowledge and they push you on tightening the way that you communicate. And I'm already, I already talk a lot, but like, I would talk to you a bit more before YC. Like, and so, and so they basically helped us to still a two cents description, which is incredibly valuable. They helped us think about how we go after investors. 
They helped us to think about the timeline of how to raise investment. They connected us with other prop tech, the YC folks that are like super, super incredible people, like high caliber. So you get like a social group and then they talk about how to be, how great you have to be to be successful over and over again, which is a little bit discouraging. It's like, they like say most of you will probably fail, which is, or not do that great, which is like, but it's also like realistic, right? You, it's way better to, to not start to like go, not to buy a Ferrari. Like when you, when you get into YC, you know, you have to wait, your chances are still small. So it is phenomenal experience. Some of the best, like fundraising advice, product development advice, and just kind of like team dynamic and culture and how you think about money advice, like ever, as well as founder mental health. That's something that they've, they started to address, I think recently with founders and it's really helpful to know that you don't have to like suffer and die to have a startup. Yeah, that's neat. Like, I didn't oh. I didn't realize they were focusing on that. That you can imagine that all the other things you were talking about could detract from founder mental health. So you need yeah. to have some of that balance in there to make sure you keep going. Yeah, they they said that they didn't used to do it. No, I can imagine. It's like it's like 4 years ago where like one of the the founding the partners at YC, she's like you guys are totally messy. This is not good. And she like was a psychologist. She pushed for it. She started a company and then she pitches every batch and it's become part of their curriculum. So it's, I think it's, it's enormously valuable. That's really great. Cool. Well, that's exciting. And, and Y Combinator means the best there is. So it's, it is, uh, it is, a, that's a, an exciting group to be a part of. And of course, they like the, the platforms, the platform, you know, and if you can build both sides of that platform, both the 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 inventory side and the and the customer side it's uh you shake your head like that's a real hard challenge huh <laughs> oh my god man marketplaces are really cool because you you can you bring people together you know you help you bring you create an ecosystem you create like every you know, a platform you know it's beautiful but it's also really hard because like your brain is always like splintered in two, multiple directions and that's much harder than doing like one thing and so i i if you like marketplaces do it but yeah it's it's just a special kind of challenge but all, yeah. all startups are yeah, for sure for sure johnny that's really terrific i i appreciate your time today i love hearing about homeroom and about what you're building i love that it's uh you know it's a personal need you know like i i started altos research with a personal need too and you know my i bought my house in silicon valley my little old piece of shit you know i'm 30 years old with a million dollar mortgage and you know, this is two bubbles ago and that NASDAQ bubble oh, was bursting and, and I had to know what was going on. And I just started building the data models to, to know. And, and after a while of doing that, I was like, I realized that I knew more than anybody in the world. So, so we decided to commercialize it. And then, so it's like, but it, it makes a big difference when it's coming from, ex I know exactly that the problem I have, and I seem to be solving my problem very quickly. And, you know, my what however big my universe of of that of people with that problem is it's very specific and it's you know and it's working and it's not invented it's not like i think somebody else has this problem which is so compelling to me yeah it's cool that you popped your head out and just like i am um, yeah I, I, that kind of happened with our team right we, we were just like trying to hang in there and then all of a sudden we're like you know we just worked hard and we'd be you know surprised we're, we're good at it now so yeah man that's it's really cool that you're solving your own problem as well very, very so cool. so uh let's finish up there tell, tell us about the next five ten years with homeroom what's your vision and uh, and then where can where can people connect with you and find everything yeah we'd like to be in every market in the united states in the next five years that's the goal we think the 
the need is, you know, because I've, I moved from San Francisco to Austin to Kansas City, we've seen the need for roommate housing exists, like, not just in San Francisco, but in like, Olathe, Kansas, and Topeka, you know, places like, so the need for this type of housing, it doesn't matter if housing is in a, is inaffordable or not, people would prefer to pay 50% less for housing, and some of them would prefer to live with other people to have community. And so we think that every city in the United States could benefit from this. So that's our goal is provided in every city. In 10 years, we'd love to see it be a global brand, a global housing brand. You know, big dreams are, it's recognizable and people live with homeroom in different form factors of housing globally because they know that the experience will be amazing and it won't, it will be consistently great, right? And it'll be consistently great value. So that's, that's, that's how we, we think about 10 years. Amazing. And where can people find you? Where should, what social, what, where, where do we uh, direct people to connect with you and homeroom? Yeah. So uh, livehomeroom.com is our website. You can, you know, there's two spots, marketplace, two sides, you can invest or you can live. And if you live, you can kind of take virtual tours and see the roommates. And if you want to invest, you can go to our invest page, book a call with our team. They'll, they'll walk you through how the model works for investors. You can also email me directly at johnny at livehomeroom.com. I love to chat with house hackers or people that are doing real estate investing. Gave me a huge boost in my life. And it's, you know, it's fun and it's interesting. And so I'm happy to, you know, provide insight. If you're going to try to rent out rooms to people, we're happy to kind of give you our thoughts on how to do that the best way possible. Love it. House hackers. I love the concept. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Awesome. Johnny, thank you so much for taking the time today. Everybody, this is the Top of Mind podcast. Thanks for joining me. We will be back next week with another episode of the with the, the leaders, the thinkers, the doers in the real estate industry. So join us again. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Top of Mind. See you again next time and be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes. 